Happy Mother's Day to the mothers. Forgot to say that earlier. Apologies. Um, for, the, for the seven weeks of Easter, we are in First Peter, exploring the implications of the resurrection for our manner of living in the world. And last week, Andy introduced us to chapter 2, verse 12, which gives important context for our passage today. Peter encourages us to keep our conduct honorable so that when outsiders speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and glorify God. And that that Greek word for honorable can also be translated as beautiful. As followers of Jesus, the world should be able to see us living honorable and beautiful lives. This applies to our citizenship. This applies to the workplace. And as we will see today, this applies to the household, and more specifically to Christian marriage. So what does an honorable and beautiful marriage look like? What would it take for those who speak against us as evildoers to look at our marriages and then change their tune? What sort of marriage could cause a non-Christian to glorify God? In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that the mystery of marriage is profound and it refers to Christ and the church. Our marriages refer to Christ and the church. That's true of good marriages and that's true of bad marriages. Every marriage refers to Christ and the church. Every marriage preaches some gospel. The question is whether or not our marriages preach orthodox sermons whether they speak truly of Christ and the church. When people look at our marriages, do they, do they see the true gospel or do they see some distorted gospel? Now, let me say this. I'm well aware that, that many women are going to struggle to hear Peter's words in any other way than how they have heard those words twisted in the past. There is no excuse for twisting the words of Holy Scripture to justify our own prejudices. Few people will face stricter judgment than people who twist the Bible and misuse the Bible in order to marginalize others. And so if if you wrestle with the Bible's teaching on marriage, if, if you instinctively resist Peter's instruction to submit if you are put off by his call for feminine modesty, if you resent being referred to as a weaker vessel, I want you to know that I can understand that. But, but I also want to gently and, and respectfully ask you to, to open yourself up to the possibility of hearing a fresh perspective on what Peter has to say here. For Peter's original audience, which which would have been majority female, these instructions were liberating and dignifying. Let me say this too. I have to confess, feeling a bit insecure about this sermon, um, I am well aware of my own shortcomings as a husband. Um, And so this this should go without saying. It should go without saying, no matter what we're preaching on, um, but I'm not preaching on marriage because I'm the best at marriage. 
In fact, Amber and I are in counseling together. The past few years have been, they've been hard on our marriage. Kids and church planting and nonprofit starting and moving into a new neighborhood, then having problems with our home and COVID and, and on and on. And, and it's been really good to work through those things together. But even so, thankfully, your marriages are not meant to be patterned after our marriage. Every marriage is meant to be patterned after the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so again, what, what does an honorable and beautiful marriage look like? Verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In the Greco-Roman world, orderly households were regarded as the foundation of a healthy and ordered society. And so you can imagine how how unsettling it would be if a sizable uh, percentage of the married women all of a sudden converted to a new religion. Not only would, would those conversions create the potential for marital conflict, but more broadly, those conversions would create the potential for societal conflict. People would have been, to use Peter's words in chapter 2, speaking against the Christians as evildoers. These Jesus followers are disrupting the social order. And so it was especially important for these married women to keep their conduct honorable so that their critics might see their good deeds and glorify God. You see, there, there, is, a, there is a wordless eloquence a wordless eloquence to a life of reverence and purity. Wives who relate to their husbands with respect and purity are preaching with their conduct, and the message they are preaching is the gospel itself. Peter continues in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, it's worth pointing out that this gentle and quiet spirit is not a distinctly feminine quality. Jesus described himself as gentle and lowly in heart. And and the Apostle Paul repeatedly calls everyone, men and women, to live quiet lives, to live quietly. We are called to live in a meek and dignified manner. Yet, Peter does offer a specific application for women who in every age and every culture and every society are more inclined than men to concern themselves with external adornment. Some have suggested that Peter actually prohibits Christian women from any hair braiding, any jewelry, any fancy clothing at all. That's not the point. Peter is is simply saying that external adornment ought to be far less of a priority than internal adornment. External beauty is fleeting, whereas internal beauty is, quote, imperishable. 
Peter is urging the women to regard their, their external appearance as secondary to the imperishable beauty of Christian virtue. He wants them to dissociate themselves from the tyranny of the trendy, to withdraw from the rat, the rat race of whatever is fashionable, to reject the social pressure to dress in ostentatious ways, ways that are designed to attract attention. Why? Well, because for Christian women, honorable and beautiful living has, has far less to do with physical attractiveness and far more to do with godliness and virtue. We, sim- we simply cannot serve both God and fashion. To the degree that we are enslaved to fashion and worshiping fashion, we are by definition not prioritizing the inner, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And so, this is not legalism. Peter is not just a hyper-conservative fuddy-duddy. If you have ears to hear, this is a liberating message. True beauty is a matter of the heart, Peter says. Faithful Christian women get more beautiful as they age. Your skin wrinkles, but your character becomes increasingly beautiful. And that ought to be very good news. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter considers Sarah to be a model and exemplar of wifely virtue. So, wives, it's time to start calling your husband Lord. I'm just kidding. No one laughed. I was kidding. Um... That's, again, not the point. Peter is simply reiterating a point he's already made. Christian wives ought to honor and respect their husbands. If we're we're asking the question, what does an honorable and beautiful marriage look like? This is absolutely essential. Christian wives ought to honor and respect their husbands. Now, if you don't like the way that sounds, hear me out. For just a moment, don't, don't, don't hear me as a Bible teacher. Just hear me as a married man. For every good husband desires the respect of his wife. Every good husband desires the respect of his wife. He is hardwired to value that from her. And so, wives, this is, this is a gift that you can give to your husband honor and respect, even, even if you wish he were more honorable and more respectable. Trust me, if you honor and respect your husband, he will grow into a more honorable and respectable man. That's what we call a win-win. But that's not all. Peter has instructions for husbands too. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's not just 
that wives are to respect their husbands, it's also that husbands are to honor their wives. What's the deal with this, this weaker vessel stuff? Is Peter being chauvinistic? Actually, I'm convinced that Peter is, again, elevating and, and dignifying women. The word weaker is also used in 1 Corinthians 12. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. So by the logic of the New Testament, weaker is greater. To be female is to be worthy of greater honor. But notice also the word vessel. It's the word for a jar or a dish of some kind. Relative to the man, the woman is the weaker jar. I take this to mean that men are like clay pots, whereas women are like fine china. Men are earthy and and understated and built for everyday use. Women are, are precious and elegant and glorious. Women are not weaker because they are inferior. Women are weaker because they are more precious. And so Peter is saying to Christian husbands, you need to be showing honor to your wives like you would fine china. Weaker vessels are precious, and they deserve to be loved and cherished and handled with care. Otherwise, husbands, your prayers will be hindered. What does that mean? What do you think it means? There's no interpretation necessary. Husbands who do not love and cherish their wives risk not having their prayers heard. That's a a serious thing. But I want us to notice this this deep sense of of mutuality within Peter's vision for Christian marriage. In their respective ways, both husband and wife are laying down their lives for the other. Men and women are, in the words of Peter, co-heirs and equals in Christ. But they nonetheless live out married life in complementary ways. Men and women are co-heirs and equals, but they live it out in complementary ways. And, And Paul teaches the same thing, by the way. He says, let the husband love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Love and respect. Christian husbands are to love and cherish their wives. Christian wives are to honor and respect their husbands. Husbands, love and cherish. Wives, honor and respect. And notice, Peter does not get much more specific than that. He lays out some foundational principles, but wisely, I think, he allows for those foundational principles to find unique expression in various different cultures and societies. You see, Christian marriage is like a dance. Dancing is expressed differently in different cultures. But in every culture, dancing is a demonstration of, a, of the complementarity of men and women. 
You can't dance if both partners are trying to lead. That's called wrestling. But when, when the male lead, when the male lead in a dance is, is strong and confident, yet gentle and graceful, then it's actually through submitting to his gentle leadership that the beauty and the glory of the female is put on full display. And that's what she most wants. You see, not, not only are men hardwired to need from their wives exactly what Scripture requires from their wives, women are hardwired to need from their husbands exactly what Scripture requires of their husbands. When Christian wives honor and respect their husbands, their husbands grow into more honorable and more respectable men. And when Christian husbands love and cherish their wives, their wives grow into more lovely and precious women. But again, I I think it would be foolish to try and dictate exactly what that needs to look like in your household. If marriage is a dance, then, then to a certain degree, every couple is going to have to learn its own choreography. So, Christian husbands, try asking your wives how you could make her feel more loved and cherished by you. How can I make you feel loved and cherished by me? And Christian wives, try asking your husbands how you can make them feel more honored and respected by you. If you ask those questions regularly and you actually listen to the answers and then you try to do those things, I think you're well on your way to an honorable and beautiful marriage. You are well on your way to cultivating a marriage that that preaches that one true gospel. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you invented men, you invented women, and you invented marriage. Help us to cultivate honorable and and beautiful marriages according to to your design. Jesus, may, may our marriages speak truly of your love for us. Speak truly of your sacrifice, your willingness to lay down your life for the sheep. Holy Spirit, inspire, inspire in us, in, in our marriages especially, genuine love and mutuality. Strengthen our marriages where necessary. Heal our marriages and make our marriages spiritually fruitful. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.